We're going to look at verses 7 through 14 this morning, Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand, please, as we read God's word together. Again, you can picture the scene, Jesus sitting around the table at a meal hosted by a prominent Pharisee. When Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Verse 12. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. From this passage, I'll preach this morning from the title, Hospitality Topples Hierarchy. Hospitality Topples Hierarchy. Earlier this week, I bumped into an article that I think helps bridge the distance between the world of Jesus's parables about wedding banquets and dinner parties and our own very, very different world. The headline read, quote, a young designer nabs a viral moment with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Now, there are three significant people in this story. Travis Kelsey is a relatively well-known tight end who plays for anybody? So that's about how well-known he is. That's about how many people know who he is. I think he's kind of well-known. Plays for Kansas City. On Sunday, after, do we say defeating the Bears? Is that what that was? Humiliating. Trying to tell you all, you need to guard your hearts. After defeating the Chicago Bears, Kelsey was seen wearing, quote, a light blue and white denim jacket and pants set from Kid Super. Second person, Kid Super is a somewhat well-known designer who has been releasing clothes since 2010. Raise your hand if you know who Kid Super is. Right, less well-known. The third person in the story is Taylor Swift. Raise your hand if you know who Taylor Swift is. Exactly. Okay. During Sunday's game, Swift was seen in a luxury box cheering wildly for Travis Kelsey and afterward left the game with him as Kelsey wore Kid Super's designs. You can already see where this is going, right? The result of all of these celebrity associations was that Kid Super's clothing started selling out immediately. The article points out that the designer's company, quote, knew instinctively that just being 
in proximity to Taylor Swift, whose popularity and influence is astronomical, could mean big things for the brand. So, to summarize, because one of the most well-known people in the world showed up to cheer a somewhat well-known football player who just happened to wear clothes designed by a not-so-well-known designer. You tracking? That designer's visibility went through the roof immediately with sales to match. Okay. It might seem like a stretch, but a version of the, let's call it the Taylor Swift effect is behind the cultural norms that Jesus undermined in this teaching. Jesus used parables in these verses about outrageous hospitality to teach the Pharisees about humility and generosity. See, in the same way that the status of a lesser-known celebrity rises by their association with a well-known celebrity... In the ancient Near East of Jesus' times, one's status was impacted by their closeness to someone of greater status. In this story, the person vying for a seat next to the host at a wedding banquet wasn't just trying to get a slightly better seat. They were trying to leapfrog ahead in the status game being seen in relationship to a person of high honor meant that some of their honor would be transferred to you. But it was a risky move, as Jesus pointed out. If the grab for status backfired and the host sent you to the foot of the table, well done, Jayla, in helping us picture that, the result would be shame rather than honor public shame rather than public honor. Instead of moving forward in the status game, you would be sent a few spots back. Now, we don't tend to think of ourselves in terms of hierarchies or status, but as Taylor Swift and Kid Super reveal, the search for status remains with us today, even if it might feel a bit different than it did for those sitting with Jesus around that table. Jesus picks apart his society's status hierarchy with a vision of hospitality. Hospitality. That that word is a, a tricky one for us. We imagine hospitality as something a hotel provides to its paying customers or something that gifted people display when inviting us into their homes for a delicious meal or a ministry of the church to ensure that everyone is welcomed as we gather for worship. What Jesus envisions in these parables is something very different. Because each of those forms of hospitality, while good, are very, very short of what Jesus expects of his followers. Jesus envisions something in these parables that isn't so much hospitality as a temporary escape from our society's hierarchies. Rather, it is a way of living together which upends those very hierarchies. And the way I want to say it today is that hospitality topples 
hierarchies. Christian hospitality topples societal hierarchies. Jesus tells, as we've seen, two parables to his status-seeking dinner companions. And each of these parables help us to see how Christian hospitality upends or topples cultural hierarchies. In the first parable, Christian hospitality topples hierarchies because those with cultural status humble themselves. In the second parable, hospitality topples hierarchies because the church operates with generosity. Humility and generosity. Let's take them one at a time, one parable at a time. Christian hospitality topples cultural hierarchies because those with cultural status humble themselves. Jesus is at this table. He's surveying the scene, and he notices that the Pharisees and other guests are vying, are working for greater seats of honor at the table. And so, and so he tells this parable of a wedding banquet. He says, if you were at such a banquet, don't seek the seat of honor, which everyone knew where that seat would be. Instead, choose the last place, the lowest place, because if you do, you might be publicly honored. The word here is glorified. Now, maybe this is just wise advice. Maybe just Jesus is just uh, surveying the cultural landscape and saying, look, to, to be safe, you should just take the appropriate seat. Like, you know where you fit on the hierarchy. Don't Take the seat of honor because you might be shamed. Take the seat that's appropriate for you. But the problem is is that that's not how the parable goes. Instead, Jesus recommends not taking the appropriate seat, but the last place seat, the lowest seat. And this is not good advice. Because what if the host was not as nice as Jayla? What if the host lets you stay in the lowest place? There's a good chance that might have happened. Now you're walking out of the dinner party assigned to a lower place on the social hierarchy. Everybody has seen it. You are now a person of less honor than when you walked into that party. Jesus is very clear about the meaning of this parable. He's often not clear. He lets us just wrestle with it. But in this case, he says, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So how do we apply that lesson to ourselves? How do we take from that honor-shame society where hierarchies were understood and a given and apply it to the world that you and I are navigating regularly? Well, scholars believe that as Luke was telling his story about Jesus, he was directing the gospel to early churches. And so it seems that there is, in this story, a vision for hospitality for those early Christian communities. If so, then one interpretation of this parable might go something like this. In church, everybody ought to humble themselves. In church, everybody ought to seek lower status. No matter what your status is in the world, within Christian community, we all humble ourselves whether you are a Pharisee or whether you're more like the people in the the second parable. Jesus contrasts the two. And to this potential interpretation, I say yes and amen. 
That's what it means to be a Christian, is that we humble ourselves. We don't worry about our status. Why? Because our status has been secured by Jesus. Because we sit next to Jesus already. Amen? So we're secure in who we are. So, so whoever we are out there, however the world perceives us, within Christian community, we all get to humble ourselves because we are all proximate to Jesus. It's good news for all of us. And also, Jesus is speaking to some specific people in this parable. And so to leave it at that more universal application would be to miss something important that's happening here. So notice two things. First, Jesus is speaking directly to who in this parable? Yes. Not a trick question. Pharisees. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees didn't have the most status in their culture, but they had a whole lot more than almost anybody else around that table or who was looking in. They did have status and cultural cachet on the hierarchy of their day. Jesus observes these people who have a fair bit of status vying for more status, trying to get more status. That's the first thing to notice. Second thing to notice is that Jesus is here not offering a critique of dinner etiquette. Right? Jesus is not saying, so look, about these dinner parties, uh, we, I need you to get it right. Actually, Jesus, his critique is much broader than that. He's offering a social critique. He's acknowledging the way that the entire society works, an honor-shame society in which one acquires status by their proximity to someone of more honor or more status. That's just how everything worked. That's how governments were organized, economies were organized, extended family networks were organized. That's simply how the world worked. Jesus' critique is not for dinner parties. It's for something much broader than that. So with that in mind, again, How do we apply Jesus' lesson for us? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our interpretation of this passage should be directed by how we think about those with higher cultural status engaging with our status quo. So who are the Pharisees of our day? Well, there's no Pharisees of our day. They're a very particular group of people. But again, if Luke is offering this as as a teaching for the early churches around hospitality, so we we then can ask, so where do we fit into this story? And because the Pharisees occupied a position of greater cultural status, we then would ask ourselves, who in our moment occupies, occupies places on our cultural hierarchy of more status? Are you with me? Okay. So we would think, if we're being honest, about categories like race. Right? We would think about the, the kind of racial hierarchy that you and I are each born into and navigate on a daily basis, and we would be brutally honest about who is positioned at the top of that hierarchy, who is positioned at the bottom, and everybody in between trying to navigate those two poles. That's not a saying that's how it should be. That's just a saying that is a hierarchy that exists that we all either consciously or unconsciously are navigating. So if we're asking... Who has more cultural status in that hierarchy? Who would we identify? You, you, you went to my next category, Rashana. She said she didn't say white people. She said white guys. Stealing my, stealing my sermon. Yes. All right, let's just go there. Okay, so gender is another one, right? We know 
societally that men are most, most, most less, uh, much less likely to expen- ex- experience gender-based violence, abuse, uh, discrimination in the workplace, income disparity, on and on and on, right? So men as well would be another group of people, or white guys uh, would be a group of people. I, I want to add education. Uh, education, whether, whether you've worked super, super hard for the education that you've had or whether that's just kind of the family that you were born into and this is what you were just going to do, those who have more education in our culture have access to more status. You can see this when somebody, like, is making a hiring decision, and it doesn't really matter that you have a master's degree to do this thing, but who are they going to hire, right? The person with the master's degree, even if the job has absolutely nothing to do with your master's degree, right? So, so again, this is kind of the hierarchies that we are navigating. So, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to those who have access to more cultural status. Now, my hunch is that if we were all really honest in this room, different ones of us would have to acknowledge different places of cultural status. Some of us, me, have a lot of it. Not by, not, not, not by, like, effort, intention, working real hard, simply by being born into the hierarchy that I was born into, right? Others, not so much. But each of us, if we were honest and reflective, we would acknowledge, you know, at least in this area, I do have access to some, some cultural status. So we're going to reflect honestly in that way. We're also going to remember that Jesus' critique was beyond the banquet, It's not just about dinner party etiquette. It was about the society itself. So I think we can say that Jesus' vision for hospitality is not just for a community which is a little more humble than society, but whose very makeup undermines the hierarchy of our society. So, just to take our three examples, if being white and or male and or educated means having greater access in society than those who are white and or male and or educated in a Christian community will be actively resisting the societal status quo in order that the whole community can undermine our society's hierarchies. That make sense? What does this look like? There's a couple in our church who, in some ways, you would say, have access to, to cultural status. And in other ways, you say they don't have access to cultural status. And I have watched this couple over the years in how they show hospitality to uh, people in our congregation. And they're, they're, they're quiet, and they're humble, and they're intentional. And if you, if you watch them for just a little bit, you're like, they're, they're connected with literally everybody in this room. Because they're just constantly welcoming people, inviting people, connecting people, having people over for a meal, praying for people, checking in with people. And, 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 and if you were to observe the community which has formed around them, you would recognize that this community would make no sense anywhere else. That the, the, the women and men and children who've been drawn into this community around this couple transcend all the hierarchies and cultural status points that we have. In, is that making sense? I'm thinking about two guys in our, our church who both have way more uh, uh, education around the biblical languages than I do. Like, I have to, like, purposely forget about these people whenever I get in the pulpit. So I'm like, oh, Lord, they just know so much more than I do about this stuff. 
And when I say more, I mean like way more, right? Both of these people I have watched join Bible study small groups over the years where they are purposefully and intentionally not leading, where they are members of these groups and somebody else is leading them. I promise you, whoever's leading that group has less education around the biblical languages than these folks do. And yet they desire to be in those groups, to be led, to be formed by the women and men in those groups. They don't need to be in the position of power or authority. They desire to be formed by the entire community. You see that? So, so I get to see, and I think you get to see lots of different ways that our church lives into this vision that Jesus puts in front of us. Christian hospitality topples cultural hierarchies because those with cultural status humble ourselves. Second, Jesus tells another smaller parable towards the end. And in this one, we see that hospitality topples hierarchies because the church operates by generosity, operates by generosity. If you've forgotten, a quick recap Jesus turns his attention directly to the host of this dinner party, to the one Pharisee, to the one who invited him. And he says, hey, imagine that you were giving another party. That's a luncheon or or a dinner maybe. He said, if you were to do that, don't invite anybody who can pay you back. Your relatives, brothers, sisters, wealthy neighbors. Instead, Jesus says, you invite people who can't pay you back. Now, if the first parable, like, initially it felt like, okay, this is just wise advice. This one from the very beginning was just bizarre. Made no sense whatsoever. Because again, Jesus is not critiquing party etiquette here. This is not about who's on your guest list. Jesus had in mind how the society itself functioned. The parable is inviting people to a countercultural way of being together. One biblical uh, scholar says that, that the society that Jesus navigated, lived in, was held together by gift and obligation. I give you a gift. I give Mama Regina a gift. She's now obligated to me. In some way, she has to reciprocate. She has to give me a gift. She has to do something to pay me back. And that is the way that relational networks were held together, by gift and by obligation. So... You invite people to your party who can return the favor. You don't invite people who cannot give you a gift in exchange. There's a way in which I think Jesus is is, is saying to the church, if, if we follow society, if we follow the status quo, then those with the resources to host the most meals would always be elevated above those who couldn't host as many meals. Why? Because the guest who can't pay back is obligated. There's always an unequal balance. What Jesus instead envisions is a community so thoroughly infused by generosity that the gift obligation economy is rendered completely irrelevant. This doesn't doesn't make sense here. It doesn't work here. I, mean, uh, I was trying to think of, a, kind of how this has played out for us over the years. The first 10 years of our church, we did Bible study that Hannah was talking about in small groups in people's homes. And there was so much that was great about it, so much good spiritual fruit 
uh, from that. And then during the pandemic, we kind of reflected some and we evaluated. And for a number of different reasons, we said we need to try a different model. And so we moved to an all-church Bible study in a church setting for how we mostly do our, our adult discipleship. And one of the tipping points for me that really convinced me that we ought to make this move was the realization that, that when we were mostly doing our discipleship in people's homes, it meant that only people who really felt like they could host in their homes could be hosts, could serve in that position of leadership or authority in our congregation. And, and some of you feel like you can do that. You've got the space to do that. You've got the time to kind of like clean up your apartment or your house. And you've got the space around the table or enough extra folding chairs to put out. But guess what? We don't all have that, right? Some of us are really transient. We're here today and we're not quite sure where we're going to be next month. And that person's not in a position to host, to have people over. Now, you should have people over. You should invite people over. If you don't have space to invite people over, you should meet up at the park for a cookout. You should go out to eat. Like, like as a congregation, we should always be finding ways to host each other. And I would contend that whether you have, like, the most beautiful dining room table or not, you should still be finding ways to host each other. But as a church, where we were organizing ourselves around a particular model, we found that we were unintentionally excluding people from significant ways of leading and serving in our congregation. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that churches that do small group ministry haven't found a way around that. We just couldn't find a way around that. So this is one of the things I'm actually really excited about, having our own church building someday soon, right? Someday soon. Because I imagine like a fellowship hall and a church kitchen where, where everybody gets to be host. Like, like whether, whether, again, you have a beautiful, big living room to host people or not, in this congregational shared space, everybody gets to be the host. And maybe someone will say, I, I want to host tonight. I want to cook tonight. I want to invite people over tonight. And we're all able to do that together. That, I think, reflects this vision of generosity that Jesus is putting in front of the early church where this gift obligation economy totally has to go away. Hospitality topples hierarchy because we as a church operate by generosity. Humility and generosity as the characteristics of hospitality. Communities whose hospitality is is characterized, is known by by, by, by humility and by generosity, will be a prophetic witness against societies built on exploiting and dominating hierarchies. Our very makeup, how we do life together, with humility and generosity at the core, our very existence together will be a prophetic witness against the hierarchies of domination and exploitation. That, I get excited about that vision. Like, that's what I want to be a part of. Can we imagine that? I think we get glimpses and tastes as a church. We get a sense of where God is calling us. But Scripture gives us vision as well. There's a, a woman with an alabaster jar of oil who shows up in a few of the different New Testament accounts. And she busts into another one of these dinner party scenes. And she shames herself. She lets down her hair. She pours out this super expensive oil. 
and, and is washing Jesus' dirty feet with her tears, with her oil, with her hair. She publicly shames herself. She's literally putting herself at the, beyond the foot of the table. And what does Jesus do? He elevates her. He glorifies her. He says, woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And there's another story that shows up, which is this uh, pretty wealthy man who in some circles wouldn't have had status, but in other circles would have had quite a bit of status. He's a tax collector. And he meets Jesus as well. And he throws a dinner party for Jesus too. Are you seeing a theme? Lots of parties when Jesus is around. And, and this, this man of great status, great power, a lot of privilege in lots of ways. He doesn't invite Jesus into his, into his home and then set the agenda. Here's what we're going to talk about. Take up all the space in the room. Instead, what he does is he, he aligns himself with Jesus' agenda. He humbles himself to Jesus' agenda. So Zacchaeus says in front of everybody, Look, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the man of privilege and means and status, humbles himself and aligns himself with Jesus' vision of hospitality. A hospitable community characterized by humility and generosity is going to be full of alabaster jar people and tax collector people. And we're all going to have found our place around Jesus' table of humility and generosity. Amen? Uh, when, when we get sent every Sunday, we all return to a world in which we face cultural norms and societal structures which expect us, which demand us to conform to their hierarchies. But when we gather around the table together, when we gather around Jesus' table, that status-seeking game has to fall apart completely. It makes no sense here. Because at this table... Every one of us sit with the Son of God. Who has more status than him? Who would be higher on any hierarchy than Jesus? Listen to how Paul describes Jesus in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. How, how do you fit on that hierarchy? <laughs> like, I, like, you know, I'm out. I'm not even going to try. Who deserves greater honor than Jesus? Nobody. And yet, and yet, and yet. It is Jesus who takes the posture of a servant who washes his disciples' feet. It is Jesus who says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. It is Jesus, according to the Apostle Paul, who emptied himself and took on the nature of a servant. And the point of all of that humility, to reveal the loving generosity of God, which upended the hierarchies of sin, death, and the devil. 
in Jesus, we find the perfect expression of hierarchy toppling hospitality. Through the generosity of God, Christ humbled himself so that we would have a place at his table. May our hospitality, New Community Covenant Church, may our hospitality, the way we live together, serve together, love one another, organize ourselves. May our hospitality, may our character, may our identity, may who we are reflect the generosity and the humility of our Lord, that our very presence might be an invitation to everybody who has been wearied by the status and hierarchy structures of our world. May we be an invitation to our humble and generous Lord's table of grace simply by who we are. Amen?